0: Christmas week, and there is more college basketball during a Christmas week than I can ever remember. One uh, positive from a very negative pandemic year in college athletics, but here we are, plugging along through the college basketball season, about a month in now. Really started to hit the groove. Seems like the weekday slates will be light. Those weekend slates will be great. Those Sunday slates have been awesome, including yesterday. Uh, We're taping this on Monday the 21st. Um, but again, happy holidays to everyone. Merry Christmas. I will this will be my first ever Christmas where I do not get to go home for the holidays, Brad. Um, long story. Um, but essentially, there was a there is a positive test in the the Sweeney family at home, followed by a negative test that made us think that there was a false positive that meant Kevin could go home. And then that another person in the family tested positive. So no one has symptoms. We're all feeling great. but Pandemic kits, and Kevin will probably spend Christmas Day eating Chinese food with his Jewish roommate and uh, watching the NBA and the Big Ten. I'm
1: gonna say we got some some Big Ten. I mean, the the NBA starts tomorrow, which is the like the most absurd thing I've ever seen. I've only seen two articles people saying that they shouldn't have an NBA season. Most of those people are like, screw it, all, all you know, train's moving, get on board. Um, yes. But which I, has been kind
0: of the college basketball writer mindset I feel like for the most part. I mean, there've definitely been some people who been like what the hell are we doing? Or like even like the people who are like, "Oh, we need to change, something. to change something." But I feel like the majority of college basketball writers and even like Doster who's always complaining about different things all acknowledge like, "Yeah, like they got to have a season. It, they're just like annoyed by how it's going."
1: Which you know, I think it's going pretty well. I think it's going um, great. Yeah. We as had some great video. games yesterday. We had Adam Kunkel buzzer beater for Xavier. He's fired up this prayer. He was on fire, though. At one point, he had, like, 17 points in 13 minutes played. Um, he, he was shooting the lights out. Um, Xavier's going to be ranked now. I, I don't think that they're a top 25 team. I think I'll probably begrudgingly rank them toward the end of my top 25.
0: No, they're just one of those teams that, like, and it happens every year, you have a couple teams that, like, win all their close games early.
1: Oh, yeah. It's
0: just kind of. Does what it is, and uh,
1: but you know, the rest, things- the rest of the Big East, though, I think it's being undersold nationally. I mean, you get these teams like Arkansas and Georgia, who have played nobody, and are just racking up these cheap wins. You know, Colorado's another one, um, and you have the the, uh, the kind of middle of the Big East, you know, your Marquette, your Seton Hall. They've done something, right? They have some positive equity. But the record isn't very pretty because they played, you know, a lot of meaningful games. And I feel like they're getting the short shift for, for Arkansas to, you know, beat Oral Roberts by 12 points.
0: Yeah. No, it's definitely like people don't actually watch games. Like, that's the bottom line. Yeah. And they also don't really worry about resumes. They're like, oh, look, Arkansas is winning a lot of games by a lot of points. But, like, none of it's mattering. Like, they should be winning all these games. Just like Marquette. Like, like Marquette and Siena Hall are like 5-4 five, five, 5 something like that. That's what they should be. You know, like, that's what they've earned. That's what, like, a team of their caliber should have. And that's one of the areas where, like, a wins above bubble metric, I think, is good. And and I think there's a place for it. And we we obviously had our Seth Byrne debate, I think it was last year. Man, the world is. The time has changed since we debated the Seth Byrne thing.
1: Right. But the thing with wins above bubble is it gives way too much credit for, like, what Arkansas is doing.
0: Correct. Well,. Yes, as long as the mid-majors aren't terrible, it assumes that eventually you would lose one if you were a bubble team.
1: Which, I mean, we got to see how how the committee is actually going to, you know, are they going to care that Arkansas is going to end up with a, with a prettier overall record? I, you know, by, by past precedent, past precedent, you would think no, right? Because, you know, they've been letting in teams with worse and worse records every year, much in right. to the right, But are they going to be ready
0: to go for the twelve and
1: twelve? I, I think maybe. I think it's really going to depend on what the whole landscape is going to look like. Yeah. like. Like you imagine, like is going to fall off, or like an Albert's going to fall off. Um, like a Missouri. I, I mean, Missouri has two two really good wins, so so they're not a great example. Uh, but you know, like. Like Arkansas, when Arkansas goes twelve and eight in the SEC, and they have a nice, pretty nineteen and eight record. You know how how is that going to stack up to uh, Seton Hall is going to be fourteen and twelve. You know with with some serious equity there. Um, that's that's going to be something really really stressful for us, Kevin. Because I mean, we were talking about this earlier, and so. We're in two uh, province and in Northwestern in two of the conferences that are strongest top to bottom, right? They have some really strong bottoms. I think you throw the Big Twelve in there too. Although the the uh, two teams at the very bottom are, are terrible, but 80% of the league is you know you know, pretty strong in, in the Big Twelve. Um, pr- you know probably seven tournament team, se- seven tournament caliber teams in, in the Big Twelve. But if overall record is going to matter and you're looking at Northwestern, you say, okay, well, where where are we going to get our free wins, right? In in the Pac-12, you know, a team like USC can go out and they can beat Washington State, Washington, Oregon State, and Cal. And that could be, you know, depending on how many matchups they have, six, seven, maybe even eight wins that are just kind of banked. And you go 8-0, that's, that, that's a great starting point. If you're Northwestern, there are really no bank wins on the schedule. I think Nebraska is probably better than all four of those teams in the Pac-12. The ACC has a similar bottom to the Pac-12. I think I think Nebraska would still be the worst team in the Big East, but the the current bottom four, uh, you know, St. John's, Georgetown, and and Butler, all all have some life. I, I know Butler's losing now to Southern Illinois, but they, they just tested Indiana pretty well. And I uh, tested Villanova. The, the Indiana game they didn't have Aaron Thompson. Georgetown played West Virginia tough. So uh, it's going to be really interesting to see if these middles can separate from the bottom. Because that's the key to maximizing bids, right? You need a clear hierarchy. The bottom's got to be the bottom. You don't want the bottom to take any wins away from the middle or the top. You need the middle to just feast on the bottom. And you need the top to lend some equity to the middle and the the big east has done a great job um of of this past past few years where like villanova will be a number one seed but but we'll lose three games you know one to butler one to Providence, one to marquette and give them all like this this kind of signature win that they could put on their mantle
0: Uh, you you summed it up well i think um it's just gonna be so fascinating to watch and how it develops uh on the bubble i mean it's gonna I think it's going to be a mess partially because you may have teams that are trying to cram in games late. Um, You may have teams that don't want to make up games. If they're right around, you know, if you're a team that's going to play 20 and you're at, you know, four, you're, you know, you're, you're 12 and eight on the season and you've had three games canceled or something, four games canceled. Or you don't want to make those games up. If they're like big 10 games, you're going to say, Oh, you know, we're, we're, we're still working back from our COVID shutdown I mean, it's going to be it's going to be very interesting to see that from that perspective. Interesting to see that teams add by games. But I think, you know, the Big Ten's lack of an easy win. I mean, even Nebraska is not going to be that easy. Like, like, And I think this is the best way of summarizing it, and then we'll get into, like, actual talk. Um, Northwestern beats Michigan State on its home floor on Sunday. Huge win. And that moves them up to 58 in Ken Palm. So that's the, the, by, for, for reference, for for those listening at home, the five teams that surround North Northwestern are Alabama, Memphis, Arizona State, St. Mary's, TCU, and then Providence is 62. So like that, and then that's the team like widely predicted to be like the 13th ranked team in the Big Big Ten. Northwestern is now not favored again in a game per Ken Palm until March the 3rd. Oh, man. And again, all of these are like 36%, 38%, 41%. It's like, okay, you know, like like Ohio State at home, two-point dogs per Ken Palm. Illinois at home, four-point dogs per Ken Palm. Um, Rutgers at home, three-point dogs per Ken Palm. Michigan at home, three-point dogs. But it's like the, the league is so dang tough. You're just not, like, like th- that doesn't happen. Like, Northwestern... Could theoretically, if they play close games like Ken Palm predicts, be a top fifty-ish team and go like six and eighteen?
1: Well, that's what Minnesota did last year, right? When Minnesota was like top thirty in Ken Palm. Yeah, they had a sub five hundred record. But, but I mean, to
0: go for, but to be like, I mean, if you want to think, if you are like eleven and thirteen, like this is talk. You're talking like. You know, seven and seventeen. I mean, it'd mean, really interesting. I mean, and, and, uh, Ken Palm's projection for Northwestern is the eight and twelve conference season, which is, I think, a lot more understandable, a lot more real. I mean, I, I, I think Northwestern's going to like six and six and fourteen, seven and thirteen. I don't think yesterday changes that for me too much. Um, I thought they were going to go like five and fifteen or four and sixteen, so like bumped them up two wins. Um, so like, we'll see what happens. But I think no, I don't think people understand just how dang good this league is right now. Like, it, it is unbelievable. I mean, it becomes a point where you literally have to win at home against Ohio State, at home against Illinois. Those are, like, must-win games.
1: Anyway. Right, because we're going to look up, and, you know, Maryland, Purdue, Northwestern, Penn State, Minnesota, they're all going to have, like, between six and eight wins, which is... Probably gonna knock most of them, if not all of them, you know. Probably right out of consideration, even though that they're, you know, probably more than capable. Um. I think moving on to like a more more recent topic, right? That's 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 down the road stuff, right? Tournament, uh, so, tournament selection, all that. I wanted to start with Cameron Fletcher, for yeah. Kentucky. So I I. I was watching the game. I don't remember seeing him like throwing a fit. I saw the screen grab today of him, I guess, like crying into his towel on the bench because uh, he, he wasn't playing. Um, but I guess he threw some sort of fit on the bench. Kyle Tucker from the Athletic wrote wrote an article about it. Two days later, he's uh, he's he he might have played his last game in a Kentucky uniform.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much there is to say about Kentucky right now. Other than like, we we, we we talked about how bad the bench is right now. and I think it's somewhat encouraging that Devin Askew had what was by far probably his best game at Kentucky in that game against Carolina. He actually gave him like, a legitimate spark and Scored 12 points, had three assists, didn't turn it over too much. But like the lineup changes aren't working. The 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 oh, we'll just play Boston, we'll play Boston, Clark, and Mintz as the creators take Askew off the floor. That's not working. The limit Sar and Jackson's minutes together and play smaller with Lance Ware or Jacob Toppin. That's not working. Right? All the things that were prescribed fixes for Kentucky have yet to work. And maybe maybe Keon Brooks, maybe he can help you, but you're st- you're sitting there one at five. You're sitting there. You've got a clear culture issue. They had an issue where no one no none of the players would speak to the media after the Carolina game. Should they sent Keon Brooks? Keon was like the only kid who would talk. Like there is something going on, and I I've seen a lot of Kentucky fans say oh like. Like Cal Cal was like, Cal can't do it without Kenny Payne. And I don't know that it's that because Cal has done this thing for a while. He's very good at what he does. There are clear roster flaws here and there are clear talent issues on this team. Like you never say that with Kentucky, but flat out like beyond Boston, Clark, Mince and Boston, Clark, Jackson and sorry, they don't look like a Kentucky team. Um, but the the wheels are coming off from a chemistry standpoint, and that I think is reasonable to partially attribute to Kenny Payne. And at this point, like there is almost zero path in my mind to the NCAA tournament, save just like ripping through the SEC. Right,
1: because they have two non-con games left. You got Louisville, who should get Carla Jones back. They didn't have Carla Jones, their best player, when they got demolished by Wisconsin. So, Carlett Jones should be back for their game after Christmas, which uh, on the 26th. Then, mid-January they have Texas, who's playing like a top 15 team right now. So, think that, that you know, if they split those and they're two and six, and they got a solid win under their belt now, you got some equity. They they would really have to be like the second best team, third best team in the SEC. Um, which which we haven't really seen uh, any signs of life in, in terms of that. I mean, Notre Dame has not been great this year. Notre Dame handled Kentucky for most of that game. That was a giveaway at the end, but they still win. Georgia Tech's not great, although they are four and one since starting to actually play basketball at at at, at practice. Yeah, but um, their
0: four and one is beat Kentucky,
1: Florida, the and then beat yeah.
0: Florida A and M and Delaware State. Florida A and M only by ten points. Let's be careful here with the oh, Florida State will be fine thing. Or Georgia, State, Georgia Tech, excuse me.
1: Well, I mean, they have started started playing basketball practice, so the sky's the limit. Um, <laughs>
0: we'll see if they beat UAB on Wednesday. That'll be a good test.
1: Quan Jackson's out with an injury per I know, I'm
0: They're still okay. Uh, Michael Ertle and uh, Trey Jamison. I was talking to Ryan Cross this morning, who's on their staff on um, my Coast to Coast show with Brian Bird. I recommend you all check that out. He's, he's, he's a great show, but. Uh, Coach Cross had and said that essentially they you know, their schedule was so light that, you know, it, it still seemed like they were learning how to play, you know, some of these tougher games. And they felt that against Chattanooga in particular. So watch out for you, A.B. George Tackle, in game. game.
1: Yeah, you were mentioning about Kentucky that they that their their lineup changes haven't, re- haven't really been working, but they don't have a lot of options. Right.
0: Right. Because but what I'm saying is like those changes were the options.
1: Right. Like those were the life. things.
0: Like when I wrote my article for SI when they were one and three, I was like, I think they'll figure it out. They'll they'll try. Um, Clark is the initiator. They'll try going smaller. They've tried both of those.
1: It didn't work. Right, because without Brooks, right, you can either go enormous and don't play mince or ask you, right. So you have Clark in Boston, and then you got to go. I guess, well Fletcher's not around, and Dante Allen seems to be in the doghouse. So I think, yeah, what's it going to take
0: to get Dante Allen on the floor?
1: He, he he's a shooter too, which which is kind of funny. Yeah, you know, it's the thing you know. People say Calipari is going to change this, to change that. The reason why it's going to be extremely difficult to change, right? It's the, this isn't like a startup, you know, like a, a, a nice limber startup, right? This is like a enormous company, you know, a a uh, Enormous cruise ship trying to change direction here. Kentucky has built a brand where they're putting multiple guys in the NBA every year. So the guys who they're recruiting, no matter if they're ranked twentieth or fortieth or first, expect to be in the NBA. They all see that within themselves. So it's it's tough for, you know when you're looking at comparable teams, right? You're you're a top 50 recruit, and you went to Kentucky, and now you're waiting your turn. When you're looking at everyone ranked in your range is winning just as much at a different spot, but they're actually playing a lot, right? That's that's got to be really tough. And then you know the the whole cachet of being recruited by Kentucky. You think that you you've been been like um, anointed as as this NBA future, right? So. The the only way it's almost like Calipari's got a tank to fix this, where he's got to purposefully don't recruit any five stars for like two years, and like take lumps with these 75 to 150 ranked guys or something, or maybe like 50 to 100 ranked guys that you that you make make them play through their mistakes as freshmen, and then you can do the good old stale. It's almost like like. Like to fix it, he's gonna to have to do like a MBA tank job.
0: I think I think it's I think what Kentucky needs to do is run off some of this dead weight here in the offseason and go get transfers who are immediately eligible. But go get like
1: they got the best the, the second best transfer in Olivier Sarr. Right, but build it through them and like like and, and the mints pickup was not good
0: and the Toppin pickup was not good.
1: Well Top is not, not even supposed to be playing this year.
0: Right, but like how many transfers out there could Kentucky have went and gotten?
1: Like all right, all right let's do let's do grad transfers. Okay. Justin I, I Smith. will I I will read you off my top ranked guys. Okay, Carla Jones would have been perfect. They, Better than they,
0: Davion, yeah.
1: They they miss both there. Justin Smith. Go get him. Kind of redundant with Keon Brooks, but uh, Feels like they can use him right now, though. Marcus Santos Silva would not have helped. No. Romello White would not have helped. Well, we'll not overstay. Would not have helped. Seth Towns can't even get on the court. Bryce Aiken can't even get on the court. Jordan Bruiner would not have helped. Cartier Jara hasn't been great for Votech not even starting. He opted least, it out. He opted out for Corona. I'm sure that had nothing to do with him playing much less than he ever did at Kansas City. Yeah, he,
0: he, he, he... I love that Mike Young said he opted out for Corona, quote, for, for the time being. Yeah. Like, come
1: on. Number 10, Davion Mintz. Obviously, not, you know... Uh, a Terrell Brown for Arizona wouldn't help. Jalen Tate for Arkansas doesn't solve their shooting. Mike Smith for Michigan. Maybe. But... Uh, I, I mean... Dementio Vaughn. Bon. No Terrell Gomez is even starting. Nope. Um, he, Justin Kyer. Maybe. But he, he,
0: he, I get your point. I get your point. Yeah. Flip so, side point. Flip side I think,
1: point. I think we 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 really have to have like a look in the mirror about, about transfers.
0: Okay, but at the same time, like Eli Becker tweeted, uh a good friend of the program, he checks CBB, follow him, follow them. They do a great job. He tweeted today. Um, twelve of the teams in the top twenty-five have a new transfer this season and played more than twenty minutes of the game. So like Baylor, for instance, has Flagler, but before him, they had Macy O'Teague. You know, they they've they've been very successful with it. Like Gonzaga's got Nemphard playing a big role. Victor Bailey's playing a big role for Tennessee. Mike McClung's playing a big role for Texas Tech,
1: um, etc. Right, but 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 you can't rebuild the way that Kentucky needs to rebuild. But they can just go get a bunch of
0: five-stars and, and like, they, they'll they be okay. I think they'll be okay, is my point. They also, like, they also just need to do a better job of keeping the kids that they recruit who aren't five-stars.
1: Well, that's so that's least... what I'm talking about, where I think when you can pull whatever five-star you want, these guys, these four-stars will sign up to wait their turn in theory. Right. But when the other four-stars are – Averaging 10 points a game as freshmen, and their team is a top 25 team too. Think, think you get grass is always greener, and then we see a lot of these guys never even get a real opportunity because they keep on getting recruited over, and that's because they were never given any minutes in the first place. So it's it's this enormous catch 22, um, and that's why I'm thinking the only way out of it is stop stop recruiting five stars entirely, right? Almost almost like like a like what a Virginia Tech you know, kind of recruited, like, right, where you get your Bamazil and your Cone and your Maddox, and it's, okay, we might stink, but we're going to invest in these guys, right? And then when those guys are juniors, that team should be very good, and then you get more, you know, almost restart like a traditional team would. The issue with that is how how can you say no to this five-star talent, right?
0: Also, Kentucky, there's too much pressure to ever rebuild. You don't rebuild a Kentucky.
1: Which which is the catch twenty two? You know we're going to be stuck in this cycle forever. Yes. And it's funny. I I saw the the Kentucky beat writer for Rivals had a tweet like, college basketball has been ruined by the refs. It's oh, so funny. Good. Between I I, I saw a UConn fans saying that too. <laughs> when every teams lose, the refs' fault. It's Corona's fault. It's Very funny. I mean, the, you know perusing the Providence message boards. Uh, uh, yesterday P- people are still very negative you know i'm i'm someone once once a big win you know go goes in the win column i think we're, you know, we're, we're never going to lose again and we got to worry about you know after our national championship who's going to replace david duke you know um definitely in, in in the minority with that most people are still uh, bitching and moaning even after a couple really nice road wins back to back
0: I'll I'll wrap up our Kentucky segment on this. I made I made the comment last week about Johnny Juzang. I I can't help but wonder if uh, if Calipari could use a six foot five a six foot five kid in his third year of college who uh, or maybe even the fourth year of college is averaging seventeen points at the high major level, shooting forty eight percent from three, you know, attacking the basket, doing it all. Wonder who that is? Who? Jamal Baker. Jamal
1: Baker. He's
0: averaging 17 points a game for Arizona right now. Leading them right. in scoring. Uh,
1: you know, when I said that, you know, Kentucky's got to keep guys like that, someone was like, well, Baker was home, homesick. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm, he, was sure not he, home, he would have been homesick if he, he was, was playing, playing. right? Yeah, there it is. We, we, <laughs> if, if these guys were playing a ton, I don't think they would be as homesick. Yeah,
0: that is the... That 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 I think we all understand what what homesick really usually means, but yeah. alas, Kentucky's got a problem. They're really bad. Um, on the other hand, I think I, th- I wanted to ask about this. Um, it feels like the gap is growing more and more between Baylor Gonzaga and the rest, right? Maybe honestly, like Iowa almost deserves to be in the conversation after Saturday. I want to rewatch that game.
1: No, they looked like
0: crap. Okay, hold on though. Gonzaga is clearly the better team, but Iowa shot four for twenty-two. Gonzaga shot thirteen for twenty-six. Those both from three. How often does that happen for either side, right? Like it Gonzaga's was- one weakness is they don't have a ton of shooting, and Iowa's strength is that they have all this shooting. And they lost by ten points on a neutral court to Gonzaga. I'm not. I'm not even saying like,
1: no. no you, uh, uh, Gary Parrish for CBS is the same thing with the score. Okay, Gonzaga was toying with Iowa. They, they were playing Julian Strother and Umar Ballo and Dominic Harris. They, they if, no, if, if clearly they could have kept their them. foot on the gas, they would have won by like 30 points. Gonzaga
0: is clearly ahead of them. I agree with you. Also, Dom Harris and Julian Strother combined to play five minutes. So,
1: But they put him in, you know, not not at the end of the game. You know, they put him in like mid-second mid half.
0: Yeah, and then they yanked them immediately because Iowa made run. Yeah. But regard regardless, Iowa is, is not in that tier. I agree with you. I, but I think Iowa is close to the close to that tier. But there's a widening gap. Like Baylor and Gonzaga are so clearly ahead of of the pack, right? Like Villanova is vulnerable. I'm still not buying Kansas is like a national title caliber type team. Maybe it's Tennessee, honestly, that's next. West Virginia struggled with Iowa State. Um Illinois is, is faded. Rutgers, honestly, like, I mean, Rutgers is not beating his Agar baylor but like, Rutgers is as good a case to be the number three team in the country right now as anyone in the country. Let's Same way on the road, but they, they've done the thing, right? Like, Creighton hasn't quite gotten to where we wanted them to be. There is a very, very clear divide it, 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 between those. And then Michigan State's lost to Northwestern, which is where I to go next with this, is, is the latest example. Um, it, it feels like we have one and two in the rest, and you know, Michigan State's regression here in the last you know couple of of weeks after that you know dominant win over Duke, that dominant win over Notre Dame that only wound up being a a ten point victory. They've really regressed and looked very pedestrian against Northwestern. And yeah, Michigan State had some open threes that they missed and only shot eight for thirty one from deep. But it was a, it was worse than that. They had a lot of good looks that they just didn't knock down. But like they just looked pedestrian. And as good as Northwestern was, and good good as Boo Booey was, and as good as Pete Nance was, like. It's hard to explain that to me, and it's it's starting to feel like a collision course between the Bears and the um, and the Bulldogs come come March.
1: Well, so you know, in regards to Michigan State, I think that they got caught uh, playing with their food a little bit, right? they, they you, you mentioned that the Notre Dame game was close. They played with fire against a couple of by games, right? Uh, D- Detroit was one. I don't remember what, what the other one was. Maybe Western Michigan. Western
0: Michigan. Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, so, so they were they were playing with fire a little bit, and you know they have a lot of stuff to figure out in terms of like their center position. They're still starting Kithier and and kind of splitting that like for, like four different ways. I know a lot of people were very high on Maddie Sissico coming in the top 50 center. He's he's gotten very little burn, very very little opportunity. Uh, I I still like Michigan State as a top 15 team. Uh, I think I ranked them. 11th or 12th this week for uh, rush the court uh uh for the top top 16 teams we rank each Sunday night uh, but you know in uh, terms of the tiers you know I've I've had the same top 6 since the preseason o- order a little flipped think think the only flip I've made was I had preseason I had Villanova at 2 Baylor at 3 and I flipped that back to Baylor at 2 Villanova at 3 um but I, I think clearly Zags and Baylor, top tier. I think second tier is clearly Villanova, Kansas, Tennessee, West Virginia. I've had that since the preseason. And then tier three, I think, is where it really opens up. I think you can go up to 15, right, where I think you have basically the whole Big Ten. right? You have Michigan State. You have Iowa. You have Rutgers. You have Illinois. <laughs> Wisconsin. That's, that's five Big Ten teams. Plus Creighton, Texas, and Houston. I and then I think I'm miss, I think I'm missing one team I had earlier too. But uh, uh, okay, a, a top top fourteen there. Okay, so I think that 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 third tier, the, those five Big Ten teams, and then Creighton, Texas, and Houston. I think that that's the most interesting place. Um, yes. Because no, I,
0: I, don't think, I don't think I've had some uh, too many like remarkable like changes in like where teams might rank, I guess I more so wonder how much further ahead Baylor and Gonzaga are than I expected. I did not expect it to be so stark where, you know, the teams in that second and third tier to me would be like eight to 10 point dogs in my head against. Right.
1: Against. In the uh, preseason, my my top tier was Gonzaga, Baylor, Kansas, and Villanova, and I thought Kansas could push Baylor for that top spot. Now, you know, we fast forward a little bit, and um, the the day the season starts, Gonzaga adds literally one like an elite player in the country, a proven starting point guard on a on a pretty good Florida team. They just add him out of thin air, and and that just moved Gonzaga up, and then Baylor with how well they've been playing, how well they've – having missed Tristan Clark, Then like you mentioned earlier in the pod about Adam Flagler. He's like their third-leading scorer right now, averaging like 15 points a game. They they kind of broke off into Tier 1, pushing um, – and then and then you look at Villanova and Kansas, who moved down to Tier 2. Villanova, very, very disappointed um, that Jermaine Samuels hasn't taken a jump. Colin Gillespie seems like the same player as last year. I, I was really encouraged last year, you know, toward the end of the year by Brandon Slater, the impact he was making. He's been a, a true non-factor so far. Um, and then injury to Brian Antoine, who could give them some upside. That pushes them from Tier, tier 1 to Tier 2. Kansas gets the great play from Jalen Wilson, but Bryce Thompson's been a little worse than expected. Tyon Grant Foster's nowhere to be seen, and McCormick stinks. That that pushes them down into where Tennessee and West Virginia are. Um, so I think that's 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 the biggest difference from, from the preseason is Gonzaga pulls a guy out of thin air. Villanova and Kansas has a few guys disappointing a little bit, um, and then Baylor kind of holds steady.
0: Yeah, I I agree. Um, here's a question for you. I know you mentioned the the Big Ten. Um, five tier being in 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 all of the tier five at the top all being kind of similar who do you like right now like who would be your pick because i was a michigan state guy i still like them a lot but i mean the last few games have been impossible for me to ignore um then you look at illinois they haven't been great is it wisconsin i mean is that where we're kind of at is it iowa or is it Rutgers? i mean where where do you stand?
1: So I I was thinking you know extensively about this last night. I think gun to my head, I think I'm still taking my preseason Illinois pick. Interesting. I know that they have all the losses, right? They got Missouri loss, they have Baylor loss, and they and and, and they just dropped that one at at Rutgers. But they have the Serious star power between Io Sumo and Kofi Coburn. Coburn can 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 really protect the rim, uh, kind of erasing their uh, defensive troubles. And then a stat that Gary Parrish pointed out on, on his pod: in their three losses, Adam Miller is shooting three for twenty from the field. That's yeah. that's not sustainable. He he he's a great great scorer, um, you know, even as a freshman. I think that. Reversing to the mean there, um, you know, with with the great play that they've gotten, even from their bench, with you know guys like Andre Carbello, too. Um, I think gun to my head, I'm still taking Illinois, but you know you can really take any of those five teams. I wouldn't blame you for taking Rutgers. I mean that's just you know incredible top seven. That they can mix and match in all these different ways. They got shot makers. Ron Harper's an NBA player. You know, I, I, I wouldn't blame you for taking Iowa. I, I, I am a little skeptical. um, You know, with, with the defense and if they can sustain the shooting. But like Luca Garza is just unstoppable. You know, his touch is insane. They, they just need to get him the ball more. You know, watching that first half of Gonzaga Iowa, I was screaming at the TV for them to get Garza the ball more. Michigan State, you know, with their center issues and their point guard issues, I, I would have a hard time taking them. And then Wisconsin, I just don't think has the talent level of, of the other four teams. So I would, I would rank them in the order I mentioned right now. I think Illinois, Rutgers, Iowa, Michigan State, Wisconsin. Interesting.
0: I could buy that. I think I think I'm pivoting to Iowa. I mean, I'm I'm concerned about the offense. I'm, I'm concerned about the defense in the Big Ten every night. But, like, to me, they, they just look, like, when you watch them, they look a little bit better than everyone else. Everyone else seems kind of more pedestrian. Maybe it's just, like, the excitement of Garza at all times. Like, man, like, he can get the ball and go. But, like, I just feel like when they click, they're different. Um before we move forward on the show, I would like to remind our, our wonderful listeners that uh, the support for our podcast, the E. B. Central podcast, does come from Manscaped, uh, who has the best men's grooming tools to get the job done. Fellas, listen up. Manscaped is here to ensure your por- post quarantine body is ready for whatever the world throws at it. Um, we got our our kits out, um, you know, probably four, five, six weeks ago. I have been absolutely loving it. It has absolutely changed my my routine. It has simplified everything for me. It is much more comfortable. It's so much better than what I was dealing with before. They have forever changed the grooming game with the Perfect Package 3.0 kit. It comes with the cordless body trimmer, tons of liquid formulations to round out that manscape routine. Uh, it's the best trimmer on the market. If you want that chest shave, um, you can adjust the settings, get the length you like. Use the body wash, the crop cleanser body wash, which is fantastic to keep your hair and skin feeling healthy and fresh. You also get the crop preserver ball deodorant which is fantastic um, the ball toner as well um, subscribe to that perfect package get a new blade refill for that lawnmower 3.0 delivered to your door every three months and for a limited time subscribers do get those two free gifts the shed travel bag we've been talking about every week it's fantastic 39 value add and the patented high performance reduced chafing manscaped boxers which are super comfortable get 20 percent off and free shipping with the code CBB at Manscaped.com. twenty percent off CBB uh, at manscape.com. That will get you the package. Your balls will thank you. So, always appreciate Manscaped supporting the show. And uh, Brad, where where else do we need to get to on this uh, this podcast?
1: I want to touch a little on Creighton. Okay. So Creighton hasn't looked right offensively. Their their defense has actually been okay. Uh, Zigarowski still is not 100%. Uh, he he's been moving a little slow and and and, and the shot ha- hasn't really been there. But I think the biggest thing that you know people are overlooking um, about you know the changes from uh, last year with Acrian, right? Is this is an experienced group, but these guys never played together, right? This this they're their most used lineup here. Zigarowski, Ballack, Jefferson, Mahoney and Bishop. Now I i watched a lot of Creighton last year. Okay. I, I, I think behind Providence, you yeah, got Creighton and, and, and Seton Hall are the two teams from last year I think I I I watched the most and I and I knew and understood the most. Okay. What what they did here, right, is they, they lose Tyshawn Alexander to the NBA. They didn't replace him with anyone. Okay. They just moved everyone up a spot. I think that's the real reason why this doesn't look as good, right? Because you, you look at last year, you had Zagorowski, Alexander, and Balak one through three. So both Alexander and Zagorowski, they can handle the ball. They can play pick and roll. They can both shoot. And then you had Balak as like a third option, um, who is not the ball handler or, or a pick and roll guy as the other two. But, you know, he, he could really shoot. That's another guy getting Balak the ball. Jefferson played exclusively the four last year. I don't think people realize that Mahoney played four in small ball five and Bishop, you know, just like last year, exclusively five. Now I get why McDermott wants to play with Bishop more because he's been playing so well. He's one of the most improved guys in the big East. He's fantastic around the rim, plays with great energy, great lob target. He might, might even be there leading scorer last time I checked. Uh, but Mahoney at the five last year was such a pivotal part, you know, something that made them so dangerous. He's so strong that he can physically hold up against opposing fives, and then he has his offensive advantage attacking the basket against opposing centers. Um, now he's at the four, which neutralizes some of that advantage. That pushes Jefferson to the three, who, you know, he he's uh, he, he's essentially taking the uh, Taishan Alexander role, and they are very, very different players. He can't create as well, he can't shoot as well as – Alexander you know so so you might say well 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 Brad you, you had Creighton I think 11th in the preseason if 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 you're so smart to know this difference why didn't you know why didn't you see this coming well that's because I thought Antoine Jones was going to be more of a factor and more of a perimeter player right when, when, when he's in there he's playing a lot of four I thought he was going to come in on the wing and be be more of a ball handling, shot creating kind of guard wing um, to me I think that's why that Creighton offense is looking a little more stagnant. They're you know, clunking a lot of threes. They're not getting a ton of easy baskets. I think that's because they traded a NBA combo guard who could handle and shoot for a wing. So they have this more traditional look and they're not getting the same kind of offensive pop that they were last year.
0: Yeah, I, I'm a little torn here because on one hand... I, I so so I think you're right. I think the issue that they have without a doubt is that they're not they don't have a lot of playmaking. Z, like even Zagorowski has not really looked like that Explode. I mean again if you look at the numbers, just like if you if you Google though how how is Marcus Zagorowski playing this year? You say, Oh, he's averaging 14 points, four rebounds, five and a half assists compared to two 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 and a half turnovers, just 37% from three. Like, oh well he's not scoring quite as much as I thought, but you know, that that's a good good player. It's a good year. He's playing well. But he's not you know, he doesn't look dynamic right now. And and it just seems like it, it just seems like their offense doesn't have a lot of zip to it. At the same time, though, you're looking up and down, you're saying, okay, Ballack's shooting over 40% from three. Jefferson's on less attempts, but over more, more than one make a game, shooting over 40% from three. Mahoney's shooting 40% from three on three makes a game and leading them in scoring. Zagorowski's at 37%. You're playing these four good shooters, and Bishop, who's this perfect, you know, versatile five-man who can jump out of out of the gym and um, finish at the rim. You're getting 15 good minutes a game from Kalkbrenner you're getting something from Antoine Jones, not a ton, but something, you know, you said that, you said, okay, I feel pretty good, but you're right. There's just something missing. And I can't put my, I can't put my finger on it other than like you said, just not having enough shot creation. When you look up and down the you know season as a whole for them, it's not like, I mean, you said they're, they're kind of clanking threes, but you know, for the most part, that's not really been the case. They're too worse. You know, the, the other than the Yukon game, they they made 14 threes against Nebraska. They made 14 threes against Marquette. They went 13 for 23 from deep against Saint John's. Even against Kansas, they were nine for 27, which isn't bad. Um, like there's just there's just something about them they are not getting great shots, and they're not. Yeah, they don't getting...
1: get they don't get easy baskets, and it's because last year you had Alexander and Zagorowski who could both play pick and roll. They could both get to the rim, and now it's really only Zagorowski, which means more more defensive attention. More, more more three pointers, less of guys penetrating and finding a you know opposite corner three or something like that, um, and then very very few layups.
0: And and I, and again, I mean, I I know like some of the shot quality metrics still like Creighton, um, but I think a lot of that is just because they're taking a lot of threes. Like, you know, I, I, I love shot does a great job of, of showcasing different stuff. But they're just taking so many threes where I feel like it's inflating the these metrics for them that, you know, I'm just not seeing it. Like you said, like it's not what, you know, I feel like they're taking a lot of contested shots. They're taking, and, and, and bottom line, they also missed some good shots against um, UConn in particular. But... They're they're not quite there. They just they look like a they look like a top twenty team, not a top ish team.
1: Yeah, I think I have them at twelve right now. I think you know three or four seeds in the NCAA tournament seems about right. Um, I I think a, as the season goes on, you know, ho- hopefully you get more Zagorowski at hundred percent recovered. You get. A little bit better play from Antoine Jones I thought Kalkbrenner Brenner looked better against UConn, which has you know traditional big men um so, so you know they're gonna be fine you know there's no reason to panic um, yeah. right. they're, that's they're a, good still team a good
0: team in the league
1: but... yeah yeah I have them as, as the second best team still um we'll see they have they have Xavier in the middle of the afternoon on Wednesday um I mean, people are working. It's you know, it's the twenty-third here. It's not, it's not Christmas. Um, that was a game that I would have loved to watch, but you know, if they can, if they can beat Xavier, I think that 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 would certainly change some of the perceptions because because Xavier's gonna, you know, Xavier's ranked now. They're eight eight and L. They have a couple couple good wins, but I. I I still think that Xavier is, you know, no no different than Providence C you Hall, know, Marquette and uh, UConn Yukon in terms of their their standing in the conference.
0: I agree with you. Um, do you want to talk quickly about Providence Eden Hall? I wasn't able to watch sure. it, it.
1: So the, the the first half was frenetic up and down shot making. The second half was grind to a halt. You know, probably what what you would expect from a Providence Eton Hall game. Um Mamu did not shoot the ball well, but still made some plays. Made some key plays down the stretch. Burned Jimmy Nichols a couple times. Um, they were down three with like ten seconds left, and he gets an and one, which fouls Nichols out and sends the game to overtime. Uh, AJ Reeves hits the game winner. AJ Reeves has not been good this year, uh, but but he is great at, at 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 game winners or game tying. That's that's his third one now. He had one against Boston College his freshman year, one against Marquette last year. It's clearly mental with him because when it's like, okay, there's one second I got to shoot it and I, I don't think about it. You know, it literally goes in every time. It's three for three. Um, but other than that, you know, he's, he's way, way in his own head. And they've been playing better with Greg Gantt at the three and Nichols at the four. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that they do some Duke at the one, Reeves at the two with those guys. Little less Bynum, you know. This finally is, made a three yesterday. There you go. Five percent from three. This is how it goes with Bynum, right? Is he plays like a eh game, a fine game, and the people look at the box score and they say, "Oh my God, he had six assists and one turnover. Oh, he played fantastic." It's like you just watched the game and he wasn't very good. And then you're just basing it off of this one number, turnovers. Which doesn't include bad shots, right? It doesn't include dribbling the the freaking clock out for 20 seconds. You know, just just too much dribbling, not enough ball movement. Uh, he, he he has some like current Rondo in him, where he can like hit hit a jump shot every now and then. He gets a lot of assists, but he's not. I don't I don't think he's a positive influence on the offense and he's not a terrific defender. I think he's a fine defender. Um, so I'm not a fan of him. And then, you know, I, I, I think he'll probably be a very good point guard for, 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 for Providence. But as, as of right now, I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan. I, w- I want to see more Duke and, and Reeves in the backcourt or Duke and breed, uh, maybe, maybe move Bynum from the 38 minutes to 25 minutes or something like that. Um, the issue is, you don't get enough ball handling when he's out. So that's why, you know, maybe against a team like Butler, who we have on Wednesday, or 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 DePaul, you know, maybe we can try to work in some different lineups there. And then there, there, there are still starting Orkler. Um, he was a little better against know but but he still stinks. Um, he he's just very out of place. Uh, Nichols. And Gantt have been much, much better. Gantt has been the third best player on the team. He's playing really well um, as like a defender glue guy type. And you know when he's getting shots, he's been hitting them. Um, and then for for Seton Hall, Roden and Kale have really started hitting shots between um, the game against Marquette last Friday. You know between the Providence game, both both those guys have really started to uh, shoot the ball well. It's making Seadon Hall that much more dangerous. I, I still think Cheval Reynolds is the most improved player in the entire country, and Obiagu slowly but surely is getting better. Uh, this this was a matchup where he he could play a lot because Province is going to play with with a traditional big that's not going to pull him away from the rim. Um, he 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 did a pretty good job. Still needs to be more of a factor o- o- offensively, you know, in, in the pick and roll as a lob target. Um, but if, if I'm seeing, I'm I'm encouraged with the the strides that Obiag was made from uh, last year. He's still not R- Romero-Gill, but I think he's slowly but surely becoming a positive value.
0: I think with Seton Hall, is like, I think they're good. Like, I watch them, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, I get that. I, I see an All-American in Mon really. I really. And then I also look up and I say, all right, so what have they really done, right? Like, like they they're they are they they through nine games with plenty of tests, all they've done is beat Marquette and Penn State on the road, two possible tournament teams.
1: Marquette's which is, gonna make it.
0: Yeah, right, which is still probably better than like a lot of other people like a lot of other teams have done, but like that's with Shavar shooting fifty five percent for three and Miles Cale shooting forty one percent for three. shoot. I, 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 yeah, but he can't shoot 55% for three. Like, my, my point is that, like, there's still something for me that I don't know what it is, but it's missing, and I can't quite put my finger on it, and losing it home to Providence, who's a good team, certainly, is the way that, like, you wind up still sweating on March 1st. Right?
1: I mean, you like those, look back to that, opening game against Louisville, where they lose by one point, where uh, Molson misses a a contested finish at the rim, and then he misses the third of three free throws. That's one that that you really want. And then, I mean, I I know URI beat them handily, but, you know, probably want that one back. I think if you play him again, probably win that game, you know, seven or eight times out of ten. It's going to come down to... You know, like I said, with with the Big Ten, where, you know, well, well, so it's different with with the Big Ten. Cause I think with the Big East, there is potential for there to be a clear bottom that can feed the middle wins. Butler, we'll see if
0: DePaul ever plays a game,
1: but yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, we'll see how ah uh, how uh, DePaul looks, you know, when they finally play. But between Butler, DePaul, Saint John's, and Georgetown, it you know, in a double round robin. If Hall if wins all those games, that's 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 eight wins right there. And even if they slip up one, that's 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 seven wins right there yeah and and they already have one against Marquette. so um, As long as they can really separate themselves from from those bottom four teams, I think that's gonna put all those middle big east teams in great shape.
0: Anything else you want to hit on in our general talking section before we go into our surprises of the uh, surprises of the first month? I think is the theme of our of the rest of the episode.
1: Oh, let me. I feel me like see. everything.
0: I, I feel like everything that I would mention also fits into the surprises thing at this point.
1: Okay. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, move on.
0: All right. So, first off, my first surprise. This is not like actually results related. I am surprised at how flexible teams have been in scheduling. I expected some 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 things where teams had thirty other game on short notice. I expected a few things, but like the constant stream of like, oh well, you know, Notre Dame finds out, you know. Monday that Syracuse can't play because Syracuse played Buffalo and Buffalo is positive, so Notre Dame just got Bellarmine to come in like forty eight hours, coming in forty eight hours. Or oh, we can't play this game here, so we're moving it here. Oh, we're gonna schedule this here. Like there have been so many, like every single day you gotta oh well this team's paused, but you know we've we've got our backups. And I was talking to a coach the other day. He said they have a list in their in their notes of of like backup teams that they know like that they've been talking to that they're like in constant communication with like oh you know if, if if we lose this game like do you want to play so they're ready to go like it has been inspiring to see how teams have been able to get get so much together and it's a big reason why when you look up and down up and down like we have a lot of teams who played you know six seven eight nine ten games already in the first month like Everyone said, Oh, I I don't know how we're getting into the to, to, to thirteen. People aren't gonna play thirteen. There's no optimism. Like again, unless there's something that like actually shuts down the sport or shuts down like a significant portion of the country that stops them from being able to play. Like everyone's getting to thirteen. And and, and the, the amount of teams that are in quarantine seems to be like flattening. You know, the curve is flattened. It's kind of like leveled out at like that 30-ish range. Um Everybody else keeps going. And uh, I've been very impressed by how teams are scheduled. We'll see how it works in conference play. I think that's going to be a very interesting thing. Of, like, do you just make up a game if two teams get canceled and then just, like, open that date up later in February, or let's say? You know, let's say, like uh, – that's why, like, what the Big East did. Like, well, let's say, you know, Northwestern's supposed to play Indiana on Wednesday. Indiana pops positive tomorrow. Um, does, and then, um, you know – Northwestern's supposed to play Minnesota on February 10th, and Minnesota's opponent for Thursday pops positive. Does Northwestern just play Minnesota on Thursday, and you figure you you deal with the open date in February later, hope to have that opening. Like, how will that go? But overall, I've been really impressed with the resolve of everyone involved. I think it's been one of the main reasons why things have gone off, maybe not smoothly, but as well as I think a lot of people might have hoped.
1: Yeah, the, the Big East has done a good job with that. I know... Uh, Providence, right, they lose Xavier, they pop positive, and then they're supposed to get to Paul, and then they pop positive. Uh, and, and they had to go on a little break there, but um, I think once um, UConn and Xavier first pop positive, those their their opening opponents played. That was St. John's and uh, Seton Hall. So yeah, the uh, Big East have been flexible with that. Um, and they're you know so far so good. Um, certainly. Uh, but to what you said earlier, when does the gamesmanship start? You know, when does, you know, if Tennessee is, like, 20-0, and 0, are they like, oh, geez, uh, you know, we can't make up these last seven games. Sorry, I guess we're going to have to go into Section Sunday undefeated. Or You know, like, when, when does that start? You know, when, like, UConn only used three of their non-cons, right? Let's say that they're doing great. They're, you know, they... They end Biggies play or like they're they're on track to end Biggies play at like thirteen and seven. Uh, do they just eat those four games or 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 do they get a real opponent or do they just grab like Sacred Heart or like what do they do there? Um, that's that's going to be fascinating uh, coming down the stretch as well.
0: All right, what's your first uh, first surprise?
1: You yeah, because yeah, I want something that we haven't really touched on. How about this one? So once everyone became eligible, or or, or even when when the waivers really started flying at, at the very end of the off season, and he, you know they said, okay, this is a free year. Okay, everyone files their waiver. There are so many guys, right, that were slaves to be sitouts who decided to play. Yeah, I think for the most part. Uh, None of them are really playing that much. I think maybe Jamarius Burton's the one exception. I haven't really looked at just just how much he's playing, but I would just love to be a fly on the wall of like, okay, uh, Alex, Alex O'Connell, great, you got your waiver. Uh, Okay, coach, how much am I going to play? Well, uh, you know how I said you'd have a spot when Mitch and Damien are gone? Well, how does uh, six minutes a game this year sound? <laughs> or, like, Ed Ed Croswell, like, oh, great coach, I'm, I'm good. Oh, uh, so how how does, uh, you can come out whenever Nate Watson comes out? Oh, okay, how much is that going to be? Well, maybe once a game. <laughs> you know, it's going to be really interesting to see if these guys stick around. I mean, Jose Perez from Marquette, not even on the radar. Trey Jackson for Seton Hall played three minutes against Providence. Mentioned Croswell and O'Connell are just getting, you know, very limited minutes. Um, haven't checked VCU stats in a while, but I saw Brendan Medley Bacon wasn't playing very much. Uh, Adam Adam Kunkel's been playing a lot, and Jamarius Burton's been playing a lot. I, I think those are like the, the uh, t- two guys so far who
0: and them hard.
1: Ne hard, yeah, yeah, but he, I mean, he Trey he, Murphy kinda of. Murphy's not even starting though,
0: right, yeah,
1: that was surprising and, and, and Virginia hasn't played in like ten years, yeah um, but that's they,
0: like, they don't
1: exist the, the uh, interesting thing to monitor is you know c- can these guys work in to a bigger role, one, even though like the whole rotation was built with them sitting out and then replacing seniors, um and then two, when these guys don't play a lot. Uh, are they going to be willing to stick around? I really hope so, but we'll have to monitor that.
0: It's going to be fascinating. That's a good point. Um, all right. My next surprise, how good the rest of the WCC is, right? And it's not going to show up. Like, everyone keeps saying, oh, we want more, more a bigger push at, at Gonzaga. Yeah, we want a better push at Gonzaga. And Gonzaga has just gotten so much better that it doesn't even matter. Like, they've improved with the with the rest of the WCC, but you sit there and you say, St. Mary's is 8-1. and one, And I get they haven't played like the toughest schedule in the world, but like they've played a harder schedule than a lot of people have played. Like UTEP's not bad. Eastern Washington's not bad. Colorado State's not bad. Texas Southern's not bad. And they played three in crossover. They're 8-1 and one after losing Malik Fitz, Jordan Ford, and you know, several other key guys. Tommy Cousy has gone from, like, glue guy, defensive past point guard into averaging, like, I think, like, 15 and 6. Like, he has turned into, like, one of the best point guards in mid-major basketball. Alex Dukas has made a jump. Tass has been good. fotu has been solid. They have a freshman, Jay Mullins, who's starting and playing well. They're better than expected. BYU is better than I expected them to be. And BYU is better than I expected them to be. With Matt Harms playing 20 minutes a game, like I, my my optimism level for for BYU is like, oh well, Matt Harms will come in, be like Yoli Childs, shoot threes, space, you know, do go protect the rim, do everything, have a great year, be a pro, and like Barcelo will do enough as like his 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 Robin, and it's instead it's like Alex Barcelo is now like. And Alex Parcell is literally unbelievable. He is shooting 63% from the three on three makes a game in nine games. And they've beaten San Diego State on the road. They won on a neutral against St. John's. They won on a home court against Utah. A neutral game against Utah State. They have no bad losses. They've played their way into the bubble. Averett has been good. San Francisco beat Virginia at 6-4. I mean, you wish they had the Cal game back. But they pretty much, and the UMass Lowell game is its own deal, but UMass Lowell was also the a game that they had less than 24 hours notice to play. Like it was kind of a disaster. They were switching time zones. I don't want to make excuses, but like excuses can be made sometimes. Santa Clara is undefeated. Pepperdine pushed UCLA a tough loss over the weekend, but, uh, and they've had really two bad losses in a row with Cal State Northridge and UC Santa Barbara. But they started the season pretty strong. Uh, and they they just got a uh, eligible Robbie Heath, who is a uh, a talented scoring guard, um, transfer in from a D two school, uh, who apparently has like top three player in practice v- buzz, uh, from oh, what course. I hear.
1: <laughs> Joel Joel etwambe says hello. I know, I know. But Jalen
0: Harris at Nevada also says hello. That worked out. Stan Johnson he wasn't has as good Marino as the Martins,
1: though. Huh. That was the whole thing with uh, Aaron Torres was uh, Jalen Harris was not better than the Martins.
0: I mean, Jalen Harris might have – I mean, do we really want to look at what Jalen Harris averaged last year? I mean, Jalen Harris last year averaged in Mountain West play. I like it was a different team that wasn't as good. He averaged 25 points, six rebounds, four assists, and a steal while shooting 49% from the field and 41% from three on three makes a game.
1: And the Martins, I mean, Caleb was the player of the year. They won a lot of games. That right, is what I'm saying is
0: Jay, I think Jalen is that level of player. I think if you stuck Caleb Martin alone on Nevada last year, Nevada wouldn't have been any better or worse than they were with Jalen. Yeah, true. Okay. Regardless. Off topic. But
1: point all, being, all the league is, is... Currently in the NBA. What's up? All three are currently in the NBA, too.
0: True, true. Um, the league is better. Like, the WCC is, is really improved in the middle in a year where I felt like it might drop off. With St. Mary's dropping off, with BYU losing what they lost. I've been very impressed.
1: Speaking of disappointing, uh, Memphis just lost to Tulsa.
0: Yeah, that's a good way to ring in an extension. Penny rings in his extension by scoring 49 points against uh, against Tulsa.
1: They have so much talent, too. and I haven't checked the box score or anything, but uh, did uh, DeAndre Williams play?
0: I think he was their leading
1: scorer. That's, like, almost inconceivable. I mean, this is... This is serious stuff, and the AAC is in trouble, because yeah. Memphis was a sure thing. Cincinnati was close to a sure thing. You know, Central Florida's showing some life, even though Colin Smith isn't around.
0: Yeah, they have some good young players. I mean, Darius Perry and uh, C.J. Walker are doing, like, nothing.
1: Yeah, it's, they're returners from last year, the guys who all uh, declared for the draft and then came back. Um, obviously, you know, they had, they had no shot at the drafted, but uh, so you have Houston, you have SMU, maybe we'll see when they play a little strong competition. It, I mean, Dayton might might be the third-best team in the American, so may, you know, maybe that's that's as strong of competition as they're going to get. Um, Central Florida at three, and then... Yeah, but are we even sure that Central Florida is better than, than uh, Memphis or Cincinnati? We aren't who knows. it's anyway, it's it's a mess. I was wrong. It, you shouldn't admit you're wrong until February, but I think I'm gonna admit that one early.
0: Yeah, Cincinnati's surprisingly bad. Tulsa's worse than you probably would have expected. East Carolina I, and Tulane are winning games, but they're beating up on like Chicago State. Um, yeah. It it is ugly. I mean South Florida and Wichita, I don't think they're very good. I mean, I wouldn't even consider those really like nit teams. I mean, those are, well, here's here's an interesting thought thought bubble. So you're talking about South Florida, you're talking about Wichita, you're talking about UCF. Would Northwest Would you consider Northwestern, and would you consider Nebraska? Where would you consider them compared to those teams? Don't try not to let the recency bias for the Northwestern win over Michigan State like haunt you too much.
1: Yeah, I think I would say Northwestern would be fifth in the American. So, so, so per Ken Palm,
0: right now, once this Memphis loss kicks in, they would be third behind Houston and SMU.
1: So, so there's a real possibility that 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 this is a one-bit league. If if Houston doesn't give up any equity. And SMU falls a little bit, you know. In well, and conference. the
0: problem is SMU's done. I mean, I guess that road win at Dayton will mean something, but they're not. Get, they didn't get anything done in the non-league, and they might need to have scheduled like an A-10 team.
1: Right. How uh, uh, a shout out to I think that was was it um, Dan Walken who said that the the American was going to be better than the Big East in basketball. Oh yeah, that Wednesday. was. At, at, at the time, that was a crazy take, too. That wasn't just recent. You know, the, uh, a revisionist history. You know, That was someone who has no idea what they're talking about. Um, next surprise. Let's see. How about I, – I mean, I, I'm going to double-check where I had Washington in the preseason. I, 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 I had Washington as a 6-seed in the NIT. I'm 71st in my top 100 in the preseason.
0: I think I wrote in my bra- in my breakdown that they might have NCAA tournament talent.
1: I mean, Naz Carter is good, but he's right. not the difference between them being respectable and in this abomination by right? losing to Riverside, losing to Montana. They got the, the doors blown off by Colorado on, on Sunday, like by 30 points right they shouldn't be like the thing about a place like washington
0: is if mike hopkins can coach at all and if and, and, and you would think that a team that with nothing if nothing else the program talent that they've developed would still allow them to be clearly better than cal and oregon state and right now they are not clearly better than cal and oregon state or washington State for that
1: or montana
0: Right, I mean that that that's its own deal, but I, I I'm more so fairing at the bottom of the league that has consistently lost these types of games. Like it is not rare to see Oregon State lose to Portland, or to or to see Cal lose to you know Cal Poly. It just isn't. It it is rare for Washington. I mean, if you look back even to like the horrible nine and twenty two Romar year that got him fired. They didn't lose their, – their non-con losses were to Yale, TCU twice, Gonzaga, and Nevada. And that was a Nevada team that I think went to the tournament. Yes, it was. Like, I mean, I get they have Markel Fultz, Noah Dickerson, Matisse Thibel, David Crisp. And that team should be able to, like, overpower, you know, Two Northern Arizona, two guys
1: who are gonna make eight figures, in, you know, yeah. in in the NBA potentially.
0: And and they had. Um, and
1: then Dickerson was amazing in college.
0: Yeah, and David Chris was really good in college.
1: Yeah, but so I I had Washington ninth in the preseason. They still may end up ninth, but like a hundred spots lower nationally. <laughs> I mean, they're not developing guys, and. You know, we looked at the roster in the preseason. I think we mentioned this in multiple pods already. Just where were the bigs? Where you know, where was the developing around the zone? You know, like
0: the, the question getting, I just getting have personnel is like,
1: for the zone.
0: The question I have is like I get, I get the Stevenson thing busting and I think he was a worthwhile take. Oh, yeah. I don't – I cannot comprehend how – you're recruiting these top one hundred and fifty kids, like Nate Pryor and Raquan Battle and Jamal Bay, and even like like a Jaron Brooks as a as a down transfer, and all of them suck. Like none of them are any good.
1: And Mike Hopkins, Steve Wojciechowski Chris Collins, <laughs> Jeff Capel. is Capel, had some some head coaching experience. but it's not not looking great for the for the assistant from a different program.
0: hold on, hold on. get back on the Chris Collins bandwagon, baby. We're back. Come on.
1: I'll yeah. believe that when I see it.
0: It is also interesting. I will reference this. I don't know if I did before, but I did some research, what did it be two years in it, two years ago now, for Jordan Sperber's newsletter, right? when it was kind of at its foundation about coaching hires and essentially one of the one of the interesting things is that performance in years one and two were not predictive of like their future success like if you overperformed your Ken Palm preseason rank in years one and two it wasn't predictive that you'd be good in the future but it was it was was a lot more but it was but if you couldn't overperform for four years you were done like you had no chance being good um and I think people have the tendency to be like, oh like to think of that and say, oh well it's just because like teams are inheriting guys like it's inherited guys. But I mean, Hopkins had some inherited guys, like like a Dickerson, but he also held Jalen Noel. He you know, I mean he 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 got Carter, he got Hamir who was solid, he developed like a Sam Timmons. Like it wasn't just like, oh, I walked into a decent roster. And now I can't. I mean, it is very confusing what has happened. He's recruited at the high level that you would expect. It just isn't working. And 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 the scary thing for him is like you're going to blow all your all your all your goodwill this year. Right? Like last year was last year. I don't think anyone cared. This year, if they just replicated last year, they'd been like, oh well, you know, Mike Hopkins not doing a great job. But they're like, I mean, who are they beating? If if they go four and sixteen in the Pac-12, like. What's gonna happen here? I mean, like, like, like. I mean, you're not gonna fire him, but you're also not. You're not gonna be like, oh, well, thank God he made the tournament two years ago. You really speed up your demise.
1: Let's let's start plotting for the next coach. I think we were way ahead of our time. I remember before last year, I texted you. I had this thought in like the middle of the night. Nebraska hires Hoyberg. Chrome's trending downwards. What's, what's going to happen when Nebraska's not doing well and Iowa State's not doing well? Is Iowa State still going to want Hoiberg as our coach? I think that that's, that's coming to, to fruition very soon. If not this year, then definitely next year. Let's, let's try to plant up our flag here. Who's, who's, who are our candidates here for the next Washington coach? Ooh. Tommy Craig Lloyd.
0: Smith. Yeah, Craig Smith, Tommy Lloyd. <laughs> Dude,
1: we're doing this again with the assistant.
0: He's got to be a candidate, though. Oh my god. He has to be a candidate. Leon Rice, probably getting too old, but I consider him.
1: I'm never too old. True. Um, you know, Beheim's gonna go until he's like 85.
0: If if it takes him a couple of years, Jeff Linder would be a really interesting name. Because I think Wyoming in like two years can be really good.
1: How about there's uh, just not a lot of good like West Coast coaching talent right now.
0: I think that's one of the reasons why Hopkins was like was was the high was the hire there. Is like the mid like the mid major coaches in that region aren't aren't like aren't the like high risers like the SoCon guys are. The like the best coach to come from the Mountain West recently went to Arkansas because he didn't really have like West regional ties and must. So you've had kind of a coaching drain out west, which I think has has impacted things.
1: how about if uh, this year goes well for Central Florida, what about Johnny Dawkins?
0: That's a, that's a boring hire
1: i'm I'm kind of into the boring hires recently.
0: Uh I just... He... he as a fan... I, the thing is, I have to think about it is, like, if I was a fan of the school, what would I think?
1: You, you'd like be so fan pissed. The, right, exactly. You, you'd be so pissed, but you would probably end up with a worse coach. Right? The, the, the guy that, that you want right. is probably worse than Johnny Dawkins.
0: Right, but that's the thing is you want to... Ra- you, you'd rather three three out of ten chance that you have a... You, that you have, like, your, you know, guy who brings you to the sweetest teams and makes you the tournament team every year then you then you would... And, and, like, a 7 out of 10 that he's, like, a like a bust. Then you would, like, the safe, like, make a tournament every four years, Johnny Dawkins. Because you feel like you could always get that guy. You know? There's hey, no, like, oh, there's no urgency.
1: If uh, they keep going on this path here at Central Florida, it's going to be every other year tournament. Now we're talking. But, uh, I They're mean, you know, tournament. talking about talented West Coast mid... Mid-major coaches. Um, I think uh, Pepperdine has a pretty good coach. Oh, good God!
0: Todd Golden would be a decent hire. for, for Washington.
1: What What about the Pepperdine guy? I mean, he he he's uh, produced Colby Ross and Kessler Edwards, and
0: he, recru- he recruits at a high level. I, I mean, I just want to see some wins. You know. <laughs> I mean It was funny, I was I was looking through, I was doing some research for St. Louis for an SI story, and I didn't realize that Lorenzo Romar had coached at St. Louis. I didn't know that either. He wasn't very good. Let me see if I can find his numbers. But he didn't like he didn't light like the world on fire. I'll certainly say that. Alright. Um, well while, while I do that. Um we should probably move on to our next uh, our next surprise of the uh, of the season so far, yeah, Lorenzo Romar spent three years at, at at St. Louis. He went nineteen and fourteen, seventeen and fourteen, and fifteen and sixteen, and that that got him the Washington job. Whoa! And that was after at Pepperdine. He went so, so he had three years at Pepperdine where he went six and twenty one, seventeen and 10, 19 and thirteen. He parlayed that into St. Louis for three years. Then he probably died in the Washington, which he stayed there forever, and then got stale. And he went back to Pepperdine after a uh, year off.
1: Oh, oh, how about um, for for Washington? What about Nico Medved?
0: Yeah, that could work.
1: We'll see when uh, Colorado State gets a few more games under their belt. They got waxed by uh, S-
0: oh, St. Mary's. St. Mary's, yeah, that's
1: right. I'm, a, uh, I'm an idiot. Th- th- that was a t- team that was sneak that they. They were sneaky, like a top eighty Ken Palm team, I think, last year, M- maybe even a little higher. Um, and this year, you know, everyone has them top four in the Mount West, top hundred in Ken Palm, uh, or or a top top hundred in their predicted end of year rankings. So that's a that's a nice little turnaround there. Uh, I I I really liked those Colorado State teams um, with Le- Larry Eustace when they had like Pierce Horning and Colton Iverson. And you know they were like an eight seed. Uh, you know those those were some really really fun teams. I like when these you know kind of random mid majors pop up with like really good teams. You know te- teams that y- you don't always see being really good. I I think Furman could be one this year. But uh, but but that Colorado State team had had a lot more buzz than like a Furman or like uh, a Greensboro of the last few years.
0: You cut out on
1: me. Uh, did you hear me wax poetic about the Pierce Horning, Colton Iverson, Colorado State team?
0: No, give give it back to me.
1: No. No, he didn't hear whole, it at all. The whole thing is gone. It's gone,
0: gone from the record. Oh no. Okay, but. All right, we're, we're, I think we should. I think we shouldn't allow it to happen on the podcast. We're just gonna cut out the dead air. And be like, oh, you didn't hear that? And just, yeah. The world will never know what you had to say. <laughs> anyway um yeah um that would be interesting Hire though i like i like nico a lot i think he's a really smart guy all right next um next takeaway that i have um my my next takeaway is kind of kind of tethered to the discussion we had earlier about transfers and it's that we won't notice the oh my god! There's everyone can transfer out sitting out nearly as much as everyone thinks we will. Like we'll think it, we'll think it matters because like now it's official. But I was going through when I was going through this week and like looking for the names who got eligible. Like it was hard to find big names. You know, you're like, all right, well, maybe Ben Stanley helps a little bit. Maybe Alex O'Connell gives you something around the margins. Maybe. Elijah Harkless or uh, eight or uh, you know someone someone like that gives you something if you're Oklahoma or you you go to the mid major level you say oh maybe uh, maybe Darwashi Hunter gives you something at Weber or Elijah Weber puts Dayton over the top or you know something like that but for the most part you sit there you say almost every single one of these waiver every single one of these guys who wanted a waiver got the waiver so will it will it increase transfer supply? Maybe a little. But if the entire system is already working that everyone gets to be eligible, I don't I, I I really don't think it's gonna change competitive balance much. Guys who transfer when they transfer. I think I think this 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 season and and quite honestly, as you said with if you go through the grad transfer list, like there's just been a lot of guys who haven't been very good when they moved up. So will it change I mean will it hurt some teams that lose guys? Yeah, absolutely. But like is it going to like change the world? I don't think so.
1: I I think what you could see is if teams, you know, let let's say like Memphis, right? They didn't make the NIT, I think you could see a lot of guys you know, bail for a better situations that maybe if they had to sit out a year, maybe they would run it back. Something like that. Well, um, I mean, so I'm
0: thinking. Of, I'm thinking about it from the perspective of like, uh, there have been a lot of those like potential pro prospects, and it's been again, it's been mitigated the last couple of years with the waiver. But like Malik Newman is a good example, where like no one thought he was going to stay yeah. and sit out.
1: And Don so guys James Goss, Dedric yeah. Lawson, yeah.
0: There's been only a few of them who've been willing to do it, and I mean, Quentin Grimes got the waiver last year. He was kind of in a similar boat. But I, I'm I, I will be curious to see you know, will you get guys like a like Boogie Ellis or. You guys have a relatively disappointing freshman year. who just say, "All right, I'm moving on," and and it it actually keeps guys in college basketball for an extra year instead of going the pro route. I also think, you know, I don't Good know if this, point, really, yeah. I don't know if this is necessarily related, but the the G League Select team. I mean, I I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. It seems to kind of be going up in flames here. Because you're not hearing about them recruiting really anyone in 2021. You've got – they they started their action by playing, like, a bunch of, like, random people in a scrimmage in California that was not, like, in any way marketed or televised. And it was just like, oh, we're going to circulate the tape to the NBA teams. The players don't seem all that engaged. Um, Isaiah Todd's stock is, like, plummeting apparently. Um, Kai Soto isn't getting drafted. Uh, Dacian Nix might be a first rounder, but like he's probably more of like a second round prospect. So you just have Green and Kaminga, and their stock isn't going to change by doing this compared to any of their other options. If anything, they've just like gone out of the spotlight. I mean, it you know people said that oh well you know. You know, these guys shouldn't go to, you know, they, they shouldn't go to Australia or they shouldn't go overseas to play pro because there's no, you know, they don't get any, co- Like they're not going to get as much coverage here. They kind of fall off the map unless you're LaMelo. But when was the last time Jalen Green, Jalen Green's name was mentioned on ESPN? I mean, there's no even buzz about him on Twitter anymore. It's not like, oh, Gavonial to be like, oh, Jalen Green. Like, he's basically just, like, training. He's just home training. And they gave him, like, 500 grand to, like, stay home and train. I mean, I I I don't think this is going to be as big of a threat for college basketball as people think. I, I really don't. I really don't. I think it's been, it's been kind of a mess so far. We interesting to see how it continues, uh, and we interesting to see. I, I think there's a. I think the plan is to send them to the G League bubble, correct?
1: Well, we don't know for certain, but so many teams are opting out of, of the G League bubble that you know maybe only half the G League is going to be there. The but issue, if they I go mean, to the
0: G League bubble, they could theoretically get like two or three games on ESPN and get some buzz.
1: ESPN, you.
0: Right, but no one's watching the G League bubble or, like, NBA TV or something like that. Yeah. But, like, no one's watching the G League bubble team over, like, a college basketball game.
1: No. Like,
0: because people, like, the average sports fan, again, if you're trying to build a brand, like, even if you're not Zion, like, the average sports fan is much more likely to, like, maybe know, like, Matt Hurt. Or Terrence Clark because they like they turn on Kentucky a few times, then be like, oh well, you know I was watching NBA TV. That's very like it's very much like uh oh you know the you know, the the Ross Homons and the draft Twitter people of the world are be like, oh my gosh, we finally have the tape. Let's go watch Jalen Green, which is great and I love that there, I love their work, but like
1: but there's like twelve of them, right? You know? The
0: average fan doesn't actually give a damn, and like the NBA like the average NBA fan doesn't give a damn.
1: The average NBA fan says they give a damn and then they have never watched a G League game in their life. No, but that was that was the whole issue with this from, from the get-go, right? It was like this is a lose-lose where college basketball is building the brand that you're just going to steal, right? You you don't have to do any work. College basketball is going to market these guys. They're going to put them on TV. They're going to vet them for you so you can sell if – you know they're 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 gonna bust or not, right? Guys like Quinton Grimes, uh, or Chris Walker and Casey Hill, those guys would have been first round picks out of high school. Uh, so these guys are getting vetted, they're being marketed, they're being trained, they're being evaluated, and you strip that with this G League t- team, but you're evaluating them for no one, right? So. Every owner has to cut a check for this G League Select team. A check. They're 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 paying like like Jalen Green's salary would cover like literally like a whole G League organization in terms of salary, players, coaches, you know, marketing, everything. So the owners are are paying a pretty hefty sum of money to 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 prepare these guys for like the greater good, right? Like, only one owner is going to be able to draft Jalen Green. Only one owner. You know, you know, there's there's only five guys. Only like three, maybe four. of These guys are draftable, but everyone's investing the money.
0: Right. So I guess my thing is, I thought. And again, this is partially because of the G League season. There, the NBA is not even trying. I figured the, the the NBA would just put on like a G League season with way less like COVID testing. And I think they'd be like, oh, like, we'll just test them like three times a week, just treat it like a college team, you know. But the fact that they're just like not gonna put on a G League season, I thought that like the the G League event would be like okay, you know, every every like two days you get like a Sports Center highlight of Jalen Green dunking, and so he remains relevant that way. Like, because that was the thing is even even if no one was watching the Australia games for Lamelo or RJ Hampton. They would still like you still get the ball as life mixtapes and stuff. Like there's literally zero buzz. Like literally like, like does anyone ha- when was the last time anyone talked about Isaiah Todd whose name wasn't Jonathan Gavoni?
1: Maybe a salty Michigan fan. But yeah, I mean those those games were purposefully not televised, I think. Because they knew that it wasn't going to go well for the prospects.
0: Right. They're going to I mean they probably got killed. Because they're the playing they, like, the play against, like, Bryce Alford and stuff.
1: They, lo- they lost the first game by, like, whatever, eight eight points or something. And then they lost the second game by, like, 30. Uh, but it's – they're not even playing a team. They're playing just, like, random G League vets. Right. Imagine when they, you know, played a team in January. Right.
0: They they gathered Jay, – Jalen Green's getting paid $500,000 $500, to, like – play a few <laughs> glorified scrimmages, you know, take Instagram pictures and not get heard about until June and hopefully get drafted highly. Which hey, go get a bag. But like
1: Yeah. yeah good for them, experience. but you know, on 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 the Brian Windhorst podcast, he said the the owners were like, wait a minute, why why are we doing this G League Select thing? It was really only Adam Silver. Um and like the the, the scouts and stuff complained about having to go to Australia to fall in Hampton. Hampton falls big time in the draft too, um, but you know, hopefully this is solved with college basketball paying worse. people. Yeah,
0: Terrence Armstrong just not even a pro. Um, well,
1: yeah, that was the thing with him is you know most most guys in that spot take take the redshirt year as a freshman and then pick up from there. Uh, he just just set his stock on fire. All
0: right, I think that's enough. Of- Shitting on the G League program. Um yeah. what do you what 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 else what other takeaways you want to get to before we wrap this thing up?
1: Uh Justin Powell.
0: Yes. Kevin Herter 2.0. Yeah,
1: he's playing point guard for Auburn. He looks really good. Three star recruit. He fell. I I guess he got hurt like a groin injury. It, it, and that's the thing with the rankings. I noticed this a lot this year with Corona, with not everyone's playing AAU. You know, Only people in the South are playing AAU. The guys who weren't playing dropped. That's just a fact. The guys who were playing rose. With very few exceptions. that that's seemingly what happened with Justin Powell. He was a top-under recruit. I remember when, when we were talking Auburn and I was saying how they have no talent. You were like Justin Pell's top hundred recruit, and then we looked, and no, he fell considerably. But I guess he only fell because he was hurt. Um, he's, he's out there, you know. Ball, he can shoot, he can handle. Uh, he he looks really good. Auburn's still not gonna have enough to make the tournament or anything, but uh, he he's even getting some NBA draft buzz. Well, they I can't
0: make said, uh, the say. tournament, but yeah, correct.
1: Oh, that's right. They. uh... There's there's some buzz that
0: Sharif might be uh, joining the team soon.
1: Couldn't couldn't find a pro offer.
0: I don't know what's going on, but regardless, it would be cra- it would be interesting if he did because it would all of a sudden make them like a like a spoiler in the SEC. But I mean, like-
1: be,
0: if you think about it, like they've gotten exactly what they would have what exactly what they could have hoped for in terms of breakouts from Jalen Williams and Alan Flanagan. They're freshmen. They have a freshman star a point guard and Powell, they're not quite where you'd hope they'd be necessarily in terms of guys like Cambridge and stretch acting Bola. But even he's like a usefulish player. If Sharif was here, this would be like a tournament team for sure.
1: I don't know about that because now maybe not now, for Powell's sure. off the ball. Or but Powell's
0: or, magic's oh, been a shooting more than like distributing. I mean, he's been good, but he's been like a he's done like a true true point
1: guard in my opinion. No, no, you're right. He he's not, but the the whole Sharif Cooper experience it's 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 the yes. Sharif Cooper show um,
0: shoot first shoot second shoot third shoot fourth
1: yeah and then just lastly i wanted to touch on most improved for the big east i i watch the big east the most so i think i'm pretty qualified to talk on the Clear five players I think have separated themselves from 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 the pack and have the most improved. I, I I mentioned you know fifteen times. I think Shavar Reynolds is the most improved player in the country. Theo John is now throwing up like left-handed jump hooks. He looks fantastic. He's passing out of the post. I think he's the second most improved player in the Big East. Shimpenny is now averaging like twenty points a game. Both both shit both Shimpenny brothers are going nuts. Yes. Um, that's that's insane. And then Nate Watson um, has exploded offensively. He scores whenever he gets the ball. Uh, he he's been incredible. Had 23 in, in 11 against Seton Hall, and then and then Christian Bishop um, who was playing really well, super active, um, and is emerging more offensively. I think those those five have uh, separated themselves as guys who have really made a jump.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think it kind of connects with our our point on the preseason about you know sometimes guys aren't aren't just a finished product. Like Watson, for instance, for three years essentially the same player. He improved uh, I- incrementally at yeah. what he did, but for the most part it was like, all right, he's a he's a big guy who doesn't really rebound, who's good around the rim, and uh, gets fouled a bunch, but doesn't always makes free throws. And yeah, and now this year he's making seventy six percent for the line. He's more efficient than he's ever been. He's bullying people down low. He's put up twenty, you know, almost twenty points a game. You know, Mamu has been a great example of this. He's been incredible. Um, You know, obviously it's turned into it really boosted his stock. But it's been it's been fun to watch what what some of these older guys have done. Um, You mentioned the uh, Champagnes have been been impressive. know, I think they're pros. There've been a lot of there've been a lot of breakouts this year. The problem is they just haven't been like all the ones I expected.
1: Well, like guys like. Mamu and Booknight, like those, those are expected jumps. Okay, I I had Mamu in the preseason as the sixth best player in the Big East, and I think I had Booknight as the fourth best player. And you know maybe they're a, a, a tad higher each, um, but you know for the most part that that's expected, right? Zach Fremantle jump, that's expected. Even David Duke jump, that's expected. The five guys, I I. I I mentioned are, are really like, whoa, or like an RJ Nemhard for TCU or something like that. You know, the, these are the 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 really eye-opening ones. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you uh, 100%. Let me see. Do I have anything else that I wanted to mention? I had stuff that I had, like, mentally taken note of that I am now something of a bull- drawing of a blank on.
1: Oh, uh, Andrew PlayTech is showing some life. Him and Kerwin Walton have been
0: surprises for sure.
1: Ironically enough, I, I watched Walton when he was on D1 Minnesota played yep. Terrence Clark in Expressions. And Walton had like 30 points on like 10 threes. He just runs th- three-point line to three-point line, knocked down spot-up shooter, doesn't do anything else. Yep. Um, but, you know, he can really shoot it, and Playtech can shoot it, and they need shooting. Uh, Love and Davis have been fine, and they got the, the uh, two bigs working. Sharp is so powerful and explosive. I just wish he had a little better touch, a little, little better feel. Um, but UNC is a solid like, top-20-ish team right now.
0: All right, here's my last one. How bad is every league other than the Big Ten and the Big 12? I'm a little surprised. I'm a little surprised by the SEC not being better. I'm a little surprised by the top of the a c c not being better i'm in the middle of the ACC. might, might have been you know they might have even um uh, exceeded expectations but they haven't you know the top has, has, has scuffled you you, you really like you look at on the big ten and you say okay there could be like eleven to twelve NCAA tournament caliber teams here look the big big twelve you see okay maybe there's you know seven seven very clear NCAA tournament caliber teams and maybe even like a I think TCU is probably a little bit short of that, but it is pretty good. Um, The ACC then has this kind of glut of mediocrity in the middle, and we'll see how the Carolina-Duke-Virginia tier forms out. The Pac-12 stinks. The SEC has not been very good, uh, other than maybe Tennessee. The Big East has been solid. Big East is like very traditional Big East.
1: Yeah, I think the, I the think A-10's with a full really- non con it would have gone better.
0: I agree. I agree. Here's a question for you though. When you compare the A ten to every league I mentioned other than the Big Big Twelve and the Big Ten, how close is the A ten to those to the rest of the leagues? And the Big East, excuse me. So after the top not- three.
1: They're not close.
0: I I mean. I don't think they're close. I don't think they're close to the ACC. But it's hard for me to say that the A10 isn't isn't close to the SEC when no. LSU lost to St Louis, when Kentucky lost to Richmond and Vanderbilt lost to Richmond both on the road. When Dayton's beaten Ole Miss and Mississippi State, uh, one on a neutral, one a, one one at home. When you know VCU, I guess their their Memphis win is. Is deteriorating de- deteriorating rapidly in value, but you know that caliber of team, like a VCU type team, are, beat Washington, uh, beat Alabama over the weekend. Um, I, I mean, I, I ten's a good the gap seven right large. now. Large.
1: Go ahead. If they're a good seven. I think I'd still take the Pac-12 over them.
0: I mean, the Pac-12 is what one and nine against the top fifty.
1: Right, but I'm saying. Give me Oregon over St. Louis, right? Give me UCLA over Richmond. Yeah. Give, give give me Stanford over I guess VCU. Um, Arizona State over Dayton, USC over Bonnies. I think I think all the way down down the row. I, That's fine. I think it's. Closer than than you would expect, right? especially in in the preseason. But I still think the the, uh, Pac-12 is better at six.
0: But But the the, A-10 is better than the American right now. Absolutely. Which is very scary for the American.
1: The bottom of the A-10, though, is really bad, right? But how much
0: worse is the Fordham, GW, LaSalle tier, and St. Joe's than, like—
1: And Mason, and UMass.
0: UMass isn't terrible.
1: UMass has lost to Northeastern and Bryant.
0: Yeah, but UMass isn't terrible. They're just—they're just—they're just ducking to their talent. They—they're just playing to to the opponents.
1: Davidson lost to Charlotte so Paul too. Paul can't coach. Mason escaped against the Virginia Military today. But
0: that's what they always do. Mason has not blown out a team in four years.
1: LaSalle and GW are like scary bad.
0: GW—it's—it's it's so crazy that GW is one and five. And I know Ken Palm luck has them like really taken taking the shaft, and their defense has been really bad, and they, they've lost some close games, especially from the loss. But like, if you told me preseason that GW, and I think GW is going to want to pick off some teams to resolve this, but that George Washington would be getting um, from James Bishop nineteen and a half, four rebounds, and seven assists. And the, and they'd be getting a double-double from Matt Moyer. And that they'd be 1-5 with loss to Hampton, UMBC, Navy, and uh, Delaware. And who would have believed you? No one would have. I mean, part of it is that, and I think part of it is just, I mean, look, this is a team that was built around being a really good shooting team. They're shooting 33% from the field. Or from three, I should say. Um, they don't get any stops. But, like, I think, by the, I think by conference play, they're going to start knocking them down. Like Battle's going to shoot it better than 30%. Um, you know, Sloan's probably not going to get in the rotation, it looks like. it kind of stinks. And, hey, I think I told you that, everyone who would listen. Um, but, you know, I, I think the G is going to get turn it around a little bit. But who would have thought that James and Battle, or excuse me, um, James Bishop and Matt Moyer would be doing what they're doing, and G W would be terrible. Like, if you told me that preseason, I would say GW was, like, top half of the h 10 And, like, G- J- Jamie and I would be getting, like, G- uh, Georgetown buzz.
1: Now, and, now, and now Georgetown has a five-star recruit. What a, a world. what a world. Yeah.
0: Anything else before we wrap up this lovely show
1: here this evening? Now, let's get out of here so I can do a fantasy basketball draft that I'm going to forget about in three weeks.
0: Wow. Love that for you. Um, thank God for Keontae Johnson being okay. I think we can all say that, you know, glad he's doing well. Um, guys, been on the right track. Hopefully, he plays basketball again. Um, but more importantly, just hopefully, he lives a fulfilling life. Um, we're fortunate to have all of you guys listen to us um, every week. It's It's been fun. Uh, continue to check out my show with Brian Byrne, College Hoops Coast to Coast. Continue to check out my work at Sports Illustrated. I, had, I published my Stars of the Week column uh, today. Uh, we'll do that every week for you. And uh, I also. I'm working on a cool feature story that you guys can read probably next week uh, that I think will bring you behind the scenes of college basketball right now, which I think you guys will all enjoy. So uh, check those out. And in the meantime, have a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and uh, we will see you all next week.